You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. We are back and live for another episode of Addicted to Growth. And this week, Kevin and I and Caitlin are super excited to sit down with Jules White, who is the Chief Inspiration Officer over at Live It, Love It, Sell It. And Kev, I don't know if you want to kind of take this, but I'm super interested to learn immediately. Well, first, Jules, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Um, And second, I'm just like chief inspiration officer. Like you already brought energy in just by like having that title. And and Kevin and I also talk about like the titles that have never been seen before or that are new in the marketplace. Like what kind of brought you to that like chief inspiration officer? Like why do you like to be called that? I think part of it is I don't want to just be a a boring job title that maybe other people have got. That sounds terrible, doesn't it? But I also feel that one of the really big things I love hearing is that I may have inspired people. And so that's kind of one of my lovely words that I enjoy to use. So if I'm a chief inspiration officer, it means I am definitely in charge of inspiring people. (laughs) That's fair. (laughs) That's <laughs> very, very fair. Well, but you know what I think it's, I think it's, um, it's very well suited because the, the whole live it, love it, sell it methodology is really trying to bring clarity to your why and what inspires you or what, what motivates you. Um, I know Travis and I, we, we have a lot of conversations that your, your why can be the biggest driving force to help you achieve, you know, whatever sort of goals you have. Um, Talk to us a bit about, you know, A, like, why, why are you so passionate about that particular topic of, of the why? Yeah, so um, it's a great question, actually, because I've been in sales for 32 probably years now, which is a really long time. So I've seen sales in lots of different guises. And when I was trained to sell, it was very process driven. It was very much scripted, steps of the sale. Um, There wasn't much personality in selling because it was just that way. Um, And then as I obviously got older and the internet suddenly appeared and and buyers became much more clever and able to find out much more information, we had to start thinking about doing this in a different way. Um, And so when I came to start my business, which was three and a half years ago now, I definitely wanted to stay in the sales mode because it was what I knew and, and actually what I was passionate about. But what I realized was all my career, I had always hit my targets, overachieved, and I had never done what any of the trainers had told me to do. So therefore, what was I doing? And of course, I was being me, 
being passionate about why I was selling whatever I was selling. And so I always had that deep connection to what I was selling. It was personal. And so that brought me back to thinking about, okay, so everyone I work with now, I need to start with them. What's your why? Why are you doing it? Why do you love what you do? Because if you don't, how can anyone buy what you've got to offer? So that's kind of where it all came from, really. I can tell how natural this comes to you because it's <laughs> contagious. Like just, just hearing, <laughs> seriously, like just, just hearing you kind of talk about it. It's like, yeah, this is, this is why you figured it out in that, in that path. Um, I, I totally understand because I was definitely brought up in the, the sales uh, time of, you know, stick to the script. Like how many times did you hear that? Right. Yeah. Too many times. Um, so, so how, I guess, and I think probably a lot of sales reps today struggle with this concept of I'm being told to go do X, Y, and Z, right. Whether it's certain types of activities, um, a certain way to deliver the pitch. Um, but they know it's probably not the right way of doing things or the best way of doing things. How did you kind of, uh, I guess, manage through that, that internal battle yourself? Um, I think I was a little bit rebellious, um, <laughs> you know, because um, I kind of felt like if I sat at my desk and made 100 calls, then it was never going to be what I wanted it to be. Uh, so uh, where maybe I had a target of 100 calls, I might only do 30. And I would just take the stick on that because the other things I was doing, the other activities of really connecting, having great conversations with those 30 people meant I was bringing in revenue. And so even though I wasn't hitting this 100 calls a day target, they could also see that I was bringing in revenue. So I think managers were quite confused by me. But by me being really true to who I was, I was making the right connections with the right clients. I was very natural. I was unlike any other salesperson that they were experiencing. So, you know, a big part of what I do now, Kevin, is all about my UHP because I, I may as well drop it in here because it feels like a great place to put it, where I realized that we always talked about USPs, but actually UHP is the unique human proposition. And that's what makes us really special is us and who we are, uniquely us. That's what people connect with. So I'm now working with teams where I work with the individuals in the team. And I start looking at who are you? What's your why? What's your strength? What are your values? And what do you bring to this team as an individual? And so then they're allowed to pitch how they want to pitch and speak how they want to speak in their language and using their isms, as I call it, which is their kind of quirkiness. And that's what makes a team really special. Then you've got a team like no other business and you've, you're creating an unparalleled sales experience. That's when I start getting really excited about sales. That, I love that. And we kind of touched on this in a previous episode, but I think one really important piece to highlight here is that you're, you're now essentially, what you're, just summing this up and correct me if I'm off here, but what you're doing is you're going into teams and understanding exactly who each person is on the individual level. And then you're using that to help companies construct and orchestrate their go-to-market business development strategies in a way that fully leans into every single player on the team versus showing every player on the team how they should be leaning in based off a of previous process. Uh, and yeah, previous process is a good way to put it. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. And the thing is, right, when you look at this, look at it from an external point of view. Your team's going to be selling to that customer in a really different way to how every other salesperson is selling to them. They're going to feel the difference. They're going to see that individual and their personality and their language, uh, and it will feel different. And they'll still have the, you'll be playing to those strengths. Just like you said, you know, this came from me managing a team who were two million pound off a six million target, Travis, you know, and I was just dumped into the middle of the team. You're now head of sales, now sort it. Literally no training, no support. George, you need to sort this out. Sales and marketing director was gone. Jules White was head of sales. I'd been a national sales manager on a level with all these people. They were my peers. Suddenly I was their boss. And we were two million off target. So the only way that we could do this was not by flogging the phones and driving revenue and driving activity. I sat with every one of them and I said, right, why do you love what you do? What are you good at? Who do you love working with, you know, client-wise? And we had this amazing transformation where everybody started to totally love what they were doing. They totally opened up as being truly them. And after 18 months, and we had a six month lead time to sale, just for perspective. After 18 months, we smashed the six million by 180,000 pounds. We never once chased the revenue target. Never once, it was visible, but we never ever chased the target. Can you see my face right now? Yeah. <laughs> you know what though? I, and I'm, I have, <laughs> inside I have, like the wheels are spinning big time here because I've, I've been there like a hundred percent. I've, I've been in that situation and you took a very, very unique and different perspective than I think, than I know I have in the past. And I think probably most would when, when, when encountered that to, to take it one step further. Right. So you know, these, these initial conversations around your why, what, what, are you, what are your strengths? What do you love about the job? And, and how do we sort of take this passion and energy about what we're doing and, and, and continue that, you know, that's really what's gonna be the driving force behind us. After those initial conversations, how did you maintain that? I'm assuming there must have been sort of this, either it had to have been a constant theme in, in team meetings, one-to-one, like, how do you keep that energy going in an environment that seems like a David Verth Goliath story? Like, how are we going to hit this? And we're going to yeah. do it because we're going to just talk more about what we love. Like, can you get a little bit more tactical on how you kept that going? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, on the other side of what do you love, what you're good at, what are your values and strengths? Why do our clients buy what we sell? Okay. Why do they, why do they come here? We were a venue. Why do they come here? What do they love about us? So we weren't just then looking at us as individuals. We were then matching all of that lovely stuff to why our clients come. And there's that bit of magic. Okay, so what sector do you want to take and what do you want to sell to? And actually, what do you want to make your target? Now, here's the bit. What do you want to make your target? Seriously, these guys were passionate about the product that we sold. Some of them have been there years and they were absolutely dedicated to what they were selling. So I said, what target are you going to take? This is what we've got to do. We know what the revenue looks like. We weren't ignoring it. What do you want to make your target? So they had complete ownership of that target. So every month 
we would bring who we're talking to, where are our successes, what's worked, shared practice. Hey, Dan, great. We never went, oh, you're 50K off. Oh, hang on. No. Okay. I trust you. You still want to leave your target where it is? Yes, I do. Great. Carry on. Ownership. Ownership and trust of that team. It was everything right then. Because imagine before that, Kevin, they'd been driven on, you need to sell, you need to sell, you need to sell more, here's the target, 100 calls a day, da 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 da, da. That's all they had, that's all they were given. And suddenly I'm saying, bring it, who are you? You're absolutely right though. I know for, for, for my, my own personal experience, the goals that I set in front of me, whether it's personal, professional, <laughs> those are the ones that actually mean something to me. And those are the ones that from the get-go, not only do I have a higher, higher likelihood to achieve, but I tend to overachieve because they mean that much more to me. So it, it's an interesting component, you know, and it's, it's just, I think, again, it's, it's a very unique perspective that you took to take the team that set, it seems like it was like, it was kind of broken and, and kind of beaten up a bit and, and turn them into this well-oiled machine. So yeah. amazing, amazing yeah. stuff. I think the other thing, Kevin, is that, you know, you, I had nothing to lose to try something different. You know, we're two million off a six million target. I had nothing to lose to just try something different. And the, my, my total instincts with no training and no support is to connect on that human level. And eventually what happened was we just became this really tight, supportive team to each other. It was really wonderful to see, you know, that the energy was high. When someone was having a bad time, someone else was picking them back up. And you hadn't got any of that before that. They were all in their individual desks, head down, punching Making the their hundred calls. Yeah. <laughs> it's really, and the, the problem I think sometimes is about the leadership side of this. Yes, we know a business has to make revenue. We know that. That's what happens in business. However, humans create revenue. And this is the biggest lesson that we need to learn. So what you said about <laughs> humans creating revenue, I find super interesting because the, the, the first thing that came to my mind is like, okay, well, that's easy for Jules to say. Her team was $2 million off goal. And like if she did well, then like it, you can only go up from $2 million off goal. But then if you did bad, it's like, all right, well, we'll just bring someone else to fix this, which is also a – that's a whole other left field conversation about the tenure of the average VP of sales, um, especially in like the tech space that a lot of us have found ourselves entrenched in. Um, but what I want to talk about or get you to touch on a little bit quickly, Jules, is when you're going through this process – of, okay, we're going to have to experiment with things. How should leadership, because Kevin, we talked about this a little bit about learning and development and research and development more specifically to this question. How can companies think about R&D in a way that might not be directly reflective of bottom line revenue? It's got to be about your customers. I think, you know, we've got to start researching who our customers are and what their world's like. Meet them where they are now. This stuff isn't done enough. We make huge assumptions. This is our ideal client. This is what they want. Here's their pain. No, that may not be true for every single client you deal with. So we use that as your foundation. But actually, the beauty in this whole relationship building is the conversation, which goes like, how's your world? 
I want to understand it. What's happening for you? Not telling them what we think we know about their world. And the same goes for value. We assume that this is the value we bring with the product we sell, which is great. But how do we know what our clients really think value is? And that's the bit we miss every time. So, you know, it's these little missing links and they all come from human connections and human conversations, yeah? Yeah, it's funny. The, the more, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to think that Travis and I speak to a ton of really smart people on this podcast and voice of the customer is constantly coming up as this topic that is just constantly overlooked and... And I guess, I guess the first question is, it sounds obvious, right? It's like, how do you understand product market fit? When you develop a product and you need to understand the challenges or the impacts, like whatever it may be for the customer. So when you boil it down, like it sounds pretty obvious, but, but why is that still something that's constantly either overlooked or missed? Um, because we don't look at the emotional side of it. We look at practical side. I think that's the biggest problem. What's the practical reason why they may need what we've got? And we look at it quite aesthetically. And when you start looking at it emotionally, so I do an exercise with my clients where we do hell and heaven. And I use those words because we all know what they mean. And in hell we list literally one word, emotions. And we make a list. And we make it as long as we want to make it. Because what we're doing is tapping into the emotion of the challenge that our customer has. Because guess what? We buy emotionally. Whatever anyone tells you, we buy emotionally. So wait, can we, can we walk drive through an example real quick? Uh, <laughs> Cause I'm over here like, okay, I'm all right. Well, for, all right. Let's say I'm a sales rep. And I'm trying to find the best personal growth university. I want to do personal development on my own. Yeah. How could, would you walk me through this hell and heaven exercise? So you're, you're the customer or you're selling something? Which side are you? I'm the customer. So you're my customer. You're trying to find a personal growth course at university? Yes. Okay. So I need to understand where you're at at the moment. Yeah. So your hell. Yeah. So I'm, my hell is like always feeling like I'm not good enough. I constantly struggle with finding out what direction I want to head into. I don't have a circle of friends that care about growing. A lot of my friends are going out, they're partying, uh, looking to do things that aren't going to help push my career trajectory forward. And I'm single and very lonely. Okay, so all of those words and things that you've said, I would make into emotions. So lost, uh, anxious, worried, scared, um, fearful, you know, emotional, emotional, emotional. And I've got this list then of how emotionally you may be feeling. Note the word may, okay, because at this point, this is still assumptive. I haven't had a conversation. But boy, if I've tapped into what I believe your emotions might be, I will be halfway there. Is this making sense? Mm-hmm. Now, then I'm getting you ready do. to draw the bridge yeah. on my notebook yeah, to yeah. the other side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So now we go to heaven. And the heaven is how I'm going to feel or how you're going to feel when you've found this amazing university that you're going to do your personal development at. Or even after you've done it, let's say. 
with us because you're going to choose us yeah because we're the university um, and that's going to be confident empowered um, successful you know imagine all these wonderful words um, uh, a leader you know emotional connect the emotions you're making me do this on the spot Travis but connect these emotions that you're gonna feel when you found that perfect course yeah. Oh yeah I mean it's confident it's empowered it's fearless it's successful like it's all literally all the things that you just said um, exactly and exactly. I think like the simple answer too to hack this for anybody that might be confused go to Google and find the antonym of what you wrote down don't be don't be trying to do too much. Like yeah. if you can step out and say, all right, well, what's the opposite of worried? Exactly. Okay. Well, it's not worried, but like, go look at some other things that you can like yeah. write down is like a, di- yeah. people struggle with this stuff. Cause I, yeah. I'm just trying to keep it as simple as possible. I know there's actually something called an emotional thesaurus. Okay. So look it up on Google. It's wonderful. And it's all about thinking about the word you want and then looking up all of the words that are emotional words that connect to that word. Fantastic. Okay. So this is great for prospecting SDRs <laughs> out there. If you can tap into different emotions Amazing. and use like the same words and realize you need to be more confident and joyful, which is a whole, Kevin, we might have to do a series on like SDR emotional prospecting because I never talk about it, but like this is a formula that if you can look at it and say, Oh, always open with positivity. Every time you open with some sort of positive insight it always led to a positive interaction. Vice versa, opening with a negative or an analytical thought with a non-analytical person completely would hit miss the mark and your opportunity won't get created because you were talking analytical to like someone who doesn't want to know the numbers. Okay, so there's two other bits to this because then the thing that links the hell to heaven is what I call the value journey because that's the journey I take you on to get you from hell to heaven. And in that journey, I talk to you and help you and tell you about my products. All right. And this is how you know whether you're hitting the mark, because the products you create are based on understanding those emotions and then having further conversations with your prospective clients. All right. So you're talking on that level with them. Does that make sense? Yeah. So like it's easier from like a wait, Kevin, go ahead and jump in. I feel like you had something. <laughs> keep talking no this is you know what it is it's it's making so much sense <laughs> and but but again like these are things i'll just you know like in my career i've probably had this type of a gone through this type of an exercise with you know the emotional side for our customers i don't know maybe two three times in my entire career right i i don't think that this is you know, and again, and we, we're, we're in this world today where it's like personalization, like you have to personalize. And it's like, if you're not able to connect with somebody on that emotional level, then you're not personalizing. No, no, you're not. Um, and then there's just a couple of other things in this whole scenario. I'm sorry, it's taking up a bit of time, but I hope it's really valuable. It's very um, valuable. Very valuable. The, the other thing that I, I created purely by accident that it rhymes, right? But you have to acknowledge the hell in order to sell. And this is all about the human nature, okay? Caitlin, you're gonna enjoy this one because you like your kind of neuroscience stuff. But this is about human nature. If I go straight in and I say, Kevin, I've got something great for you, I know what you need, and here it is, it's fantastic, okay? Or I might say, Kevin, do you know what? 
I understand how you feel because when I was in that situation, so storytelling, when I was in that situation, I felt exactly the same. And somebody actually gave me this piece of advice or this solution. And then all of a sudden, I realized that I could get through what I was going through. So I've acknowledged the hell. Then now you think I'm listening, that I understand you. I've story told to say I've been you too. And then I take you to heaven, which is the most powerful solution. I think it sounds pretty cool when you tell people you're going to take them to heaven too. I mean, that's, that's kind of amazing. <laughs> I'm about to take you on this value journey and take you to heaven. Like, <laughs> but I, I think it's, it's super powerful though. Like I'm, I'm looking at it in, in my head. Like I'm even looking at some of my older notebooks as, as I'm like thinking like, oh, I have a page in here that literally is like, you have to customize every single thing at every single touch point for all your different stakeholders. Like you are doing exactly what you said, Jules, of like going through and acknowledging each different place of where they are and continuing to go. Uh Oh, did she freeze? But yeah, I was just admiring your value journey and realizing that like the reason I had a page in my notebook that I wanted to reference to kind of talk this out, but pretty much it was saying like, I knew I had to send the executive, like every value journey was the same when I was in this role. And so when I look at the pages, I'm like, oh, wait, this is why I always sent an executive summary to every superintendent. Oh, this is why after I made the executive summary, I always sent them this. So it... Yeah, I yeah can't sorry, I'm back. I lost you again, Travis. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> What's the last thing you heard? Oh. Um, I was just looking at your value journey is what you said. I wonder if... Let me just check there's nothing going on with my Wi-Fi. Can I have just... Can I just check one second? Yeah, absolutely. You're right if I just check, yeah? Yeah, go ahead. Now I'm going to find this page. Sam? <laughs> okay. Um, I want to get into the, uh, the bounce back stuff. Yeah. The bounce back ability and then the mental health. Yeah. We got 25 minutes. Yeah, we can do it. Sam producing another million dollar hit record in there, taking up all the Wi-Fi juice. Yeah. I think that's what he must've been doing. You know? <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he said it crashed for him as well. So, right. I think it's all back. So let's, let's just see if that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Sorry guys. We were flowing then, weren't we? No, no, no. It's all good. I mean, I think we're still I'm confident flowing. we can get back there. We'll get back. <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the things I think it would be a great actual place to bounce back on is bounce back ability yeah, and kind of what that word means and uh, kind of how you look at it. I love what you did there, Travis. Um, <laughs> I did a TEDx talk in um, 2018, actually, which was in Brighton. Um, I was very lucky. And then one of the things I talked about, I lost a business some time ago. So it was a real blow. It was a very difficult time. And I talked about that experience. And somebody had said to me once, oh, George, you know what, though? You've got bounce back ability. And they literally just said it to me. And you sort of think to yourself, I really like that. <laughs> that that's great because I think I almost feel like I can own that a little bit. 
So um, that's kind of where it started, if I'm honest with you. And so it's just been a big part of what I think about now in terms of my journey. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's the answer to where it came from. And, like, what sorts of things have aided to your bounce-back ability in your journey if you had to, like, pinpoint a few for, for people? Yeah, so um, I had I even made an acronym, uh, which wasn't Bounce Back Ability because that was just far too long. Um, but I created Bounce, which was great because it started to map out, I guess, some of the things I did. And B, the B was for breathe. Uh, the O was for opportunities. The U was for understand. The N was for necessities. The C was for choice. And the E was for energy. And when I looked at all of those as words, it was kind of all the things that I had to start doing in order to recover, you know, and this whole thing about opportunities and understanding who you are and, and also this big thing about necessities, which I think because of the pandemic, we've all experienced this, haven't we? What's really necessary? Going to the hairdressers, gray hair, long hair, no makeup, you know, I'm embracing the fact I just do not need all this stuff anymore, you know. <laughs> That's so amazing. That's great. <laughs> Isn't it? But I, you know, the UK is not on our side today. It's not, is it? What is this? It's been fine all day. It's okay. Uh, we had you mid necessity. Yeah. Like this, yeah. <laughs> Great screenshots. I'm always going to give you good screenshots for sure. Yeah, so, so yeah. So, where, um, what did you get last? Um, necessities, basically, how like it really made us realize that like a lot of the stuff that we thought we needed, we don't need anymore when it comes to the makeup and the haircuts and the yeah. superficial things. It's more about the internal happiness and, and being fulfilled. Uh, versus all the superficial stuff that we were giving energy to before. Definitely. Um, Definitely. And you were just continuing to move through the the bounce acronym and you were on N. I don't know if you had anything to add on choice and energy. Yeah, well, choice, choice, choice is huge because we often don't realize the choices we actually have. Um, and sometimes, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll say we don't have a choice or there's no way forward. Um, and actually, we, we usually do have a choice to do something. You know, and I think that played a really big part in me recovering through some of the things I went through is deciding I did have a choice to do certain things, you know. Um, so that was that was quite a big one for me, definitely. And energy is about having good energy or bad energy. You know, it's very simply that. And you can get the guys around you who drain you and they drain your energy. Mm-hmm. And you can get the guys around you who totally give you energy. You know, a bit like Kevin was saying earlier, how he was getting a lot of energy from, what was it, Chief Inspiration Office. Loved it. Loved it. I need one of those around me at all times. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's... It's so true though. And, and again, I know, you know, this is a topic that, that Travis and I've spoken about before and we're, 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 you know, pretty, pretty passionate about it, but you know, really is this, this idea of just like a really positive mindset, a healthy mindset. It, it goes such a long way, not just, not just for like a professional perspective and doing well in sales, but, um, in, in just in life in general, right. To accomplish a lot of great things, to be happy in life. It, it does take an effort to be, um, you know, mentally strong and mentally healthy. Um, Travis yells at me for not meditating enough. 
all the time. Um, and when I do, I feel great. Like I, I it's, it, there's, there's definitely two different days, like days I do it in the morning, days I don't. Um, but like maybe talk a bit about that. I know that's like kind of a topic you're pretty passionate about. How, what do you sort of see as the role of, of mental health and how does that play into organizations today? Because it, it, it was a topic that really wasn't spoken about for a long time. Yeah, it was. Um, you know, even when I was when I was a child, you know, if you had children in school who needed support, they were just naughty. Uh, yeah. So you know, it's gone on for a long, long time. And 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 thankfully, we are now starting to talk about mental health. And I love that. I've just recently become a non-executive director on a company in the UK uh, called Arthur Ellis, and these guys are training mental health in businesses, in companies, they're partnering with businesses to be their mental health partner. And so therefore then there's regular training for managers who are responsible for people so they can spot the signs of things like anxiety or depression. There's an open forum for people to suddenly talk about mental health because half the battle I think is the communication around mental health and actually feeling like you can talk about it, particularly men. And I am going to say that because men say it to me. You know, we don't feel sometimes like we can really talk about this. We're supposed to be strong. You know, we're supposed to be the ones who are okay. And, of course, the suicide rates for men, in, certainly in the UK, are so high compared to females. So this stuff's really important. And to get it into business as part of their strategy is huge and it has to happen. Um, and equally after pandemic, because of all the things we've gone through with working at home and being separated from our teams and being in lockdown. My goodness, isn't it just one of the most important subjects right now? Well, I have a couple of interesting... This, I, I love that focus because... It's something that doesn't get talked about, one. Two, it's not monetizable and it's not an attribution play that companies are going to understand, which is what leads me to my next question. Okay, Jules, you tell me I need to spend $2,000 a month on a mind coach for my team. How is this going to be impacting bottom line revenue? Well, simply because your team are going to be happier, which means they'll probably come to work more often, which means they'll also be more productive, which means they'll support each other. So that's just your starter. Um, And, you know, there is a big responsibility for us now as, as companies to put our people first and stop this whole revenue thing being the only thing that leads the way. Because as I say, it's back to what we've just been talking about, surely it's all about humans. So if we get this human piece right, including the internal piece, then our revenue is going to come because it will happen. Our people are happier and they're productive. The other thing that Arthur Ellis do is by being able to work on a commercial basis with corporates, they have a nonprofit that then funds for children to get mental health support alongside it. So when you're supporting your people, you're also contributing to children having mental health support. Now that's obviously just in the UK here, but how amazing is that? No, I'm so I'm very bullish on community, human connection, deepening these things, especially with companies. And I feel like, and this is just my 
opinion, but I feel like companies are uniquely positioned to solve the mental health crisis that the world is in. And the reason I say that is because, well, they have the resources, they have the, the finances, but like, that's not what they're focused on. They're focused on like bottom line revenue and growth, growth, growth. And we need to make money to do whatever. And so I'm, I'm really excited to kind of explore some of these topics a little bit further because I think companies really can play a huge part in flipping the model upside down. It's almost like I had a drawing the other day. It was like a heart, but it was upside down. It's just a flipped heart upside down. Like let's, really be empathetic from the ground and let's push empathy all the way through the top with focusing on your people first and how if we together collectively solve the mental health issues that each of our individual team members are facing actually right now like this is a thing that every sales leader probably doesn't think about but there's someone on your team while you're listening to this that is going through a mental um challenge in their life and it's up to you to figure out how you bounce back and how you help them get through that you're not coached you're not teaching sales process you're not teaching how to find the accounts that matter most like you're teaching someone to work through their challenges in a professional setting which you normally don't want to bring there in the first place right so i'm gonna get off my my soapbox but i think that it's it's just something I think I'll see, we'll start to see more and more of. And I'd be curious, Kevin, on kind of what your thoughts are around how we can kind of introduce this as a thing that needs to be invested in into companies because it doesn't have immediate bottom line revenue, but like over the long it does. tail. Oh, it does though. Yeah. Right. And, and I think that unfortunately it's not enough for businesses to say, we should invest in our people so that way they're happy, right? It's not enough. But the good thing is, is that I work for a company that provides consumer insights and market research. And we have done a lot of research on mental health within the workplace. And the global economy has estimated that there's a $1 trillion amount of revenue due to low productivity or lost productivity due to depression and anxiety, right? So- No, 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 right. Repite, what? So (laughs) one more time, there is a estimated $1 trillion worth of revenue that is lost due to productivity because of mental health, anxiety, and depression, right? So you, and again, I think sometimes- you need to put a number to something to to really quantify or to show this is this is as this is an issue, right? This is something um, to take it even a step further, right? Sixty four percent of respondents from the UK and then fifty nine percent of respondents in the US say that this should be a top priority for their organizations, right? So the people want it, right? The, your, your employees want it, um, and again, I geek out on data big time, um, but you know, this isn't, um, we, we no longer live in a society that it's, you know, oh, it's fluff. It's the emotion. It's, no, these are quantifiable statistics that, that say like, this is something that organizations do need to, um, you know, do need to invest in. And then, you know, secondarily, you see it, you see these types of things thriving in other industries, right? If you look at, um, uh, within sports, right? 
plenty of golfers work with different types of like mental strength coaches to get their mindset right for athletic competition. Right. So, so there's, there's a lot of this that goes on in other industries. I think the corporate world is just slow to, to, to tackle this, but Jules, I'd love to kind of hear a little bit more about what, what you see. I, I think it's, um, I, I'm actually not surprised about your figures, even though I never knew what they were, because I kind of know that this is such a big problem. What we see, I think, in the UK is businesses who think it's a tick box. And this is what we don't want. We don't want to work with a company that thinks it's a tick box, because that's not going to solve anything. What we need to do is educate businesses, as you've just said, that it is actually a revenue piece, this. If they want to see it that way, let's let's talk about it that way because it's a factual revenue piece here. So let's just approach it that way so they've got that big picture view of the impact it's having. Because the, the trouble is when it's that silent lost revenue, which I'm going to call it, because I know what you'll know what I mean by that, people don't recognize it. If that was coming right off, if they knew what it would have been and it came right off their bottom line in a big chunk... Now they'd be wanting to do something about that revenue, wouldn't they? So it's about education and getting them to realize that it can be an everyday part of their people strategy so easily, you know? It really can. Because the work Arthur Ellis is doing is really simple and regular work that's just checking in and letting us see the signs and, and letting us understand what it really is and giving that place for people to talk about it. Uh, and it's you know the other thing that's really alarming is when when I look at different studies that that my organization has done, the top two um, top two categories that are drivers of depression, anxiety, and stress are financial, and the second one's work. Yeah, yeah. Right, and so when you look at this. And you're just like, this is, you know, again, and, and I think it, it's, it's nice to look at data because I think it does tell, you know, it does give a, a little bit more of a, sometimes a, a compelling argument. Um, but it's, it's, there's a huge opportunity the, 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 the marketplace here has grown tremendously, but I think, um, I think organizations are, are definitely starting to take it a lot more serious, uh, because I think they are starting to see it, but I think, seeing that happen at a quicker rate is what we'd all love to see. Uh, one other thing to add, I think, is that um, if you look at it as the culture thing, a culture in a business, you know, when I'm looking to join a company as an employee, I'm going to be far more attracted to that company if they're talking about things like mental health and supporting their people. See, and there's another benefit to a company. It attracts people to their brand. It absolutely does. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it absolutely does. And I think, I think, you know, the way, the way companies are thinking about like who to, who, you know, whether it's, you know, who they're buying from, from a vendor perspective or who to partner from. Um, I, I think they are taking, they're going to go a couple layers deeper to look at these types of things for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's important. It's definitely important. I guess w- one question I have is, and again, just being in, you know, management positions, it's a difficult conversation to have because what you're sort of starting to do is blur the lines between personal and professional, yeah. right? I know when I first started off in sales, it, it, it was sort of the, hey, everyone's got stuff going on outside of work that is troubling, daunting, stressful, etc. You got to leave it at the door, come in get your mind right and perform. 
the, that that should not be the way that things are managed or run. Uh, any any quick tips for for individuals who are you know starting to have these types of conversations and and maybe just like a best practice or a way to help you know I guess if, if it's okay to blur those lines if that yeah, makes is, sense is this from the management perspective yeah yep yeah. yeah I think it's really important to be empathetic when you're a manager um, and I think there is a line because if you cross it too far and become this personal friend then it, it then can be disruptive to the leadership role that you have with that person. So it's actually a really fine line to tread. But I don't think you should be a leader without empathy. So I think there has to be an element of being able to say to somebody, are you okay? What help do you need? You know, as opposed to what can I do for you? What help do you need? Could be much more of a general question, but still being empathetic and also diagnosing what that person truly does need. Because it may not be you who can help them, even if you actually want to cross that and blur that line. You know, it could be something else they need. Just be able to kind of point them in the right direction, right? Yeah, yeah. And to drop another data point because I'm a giant nerd like that. Um, 22% of people in the UK, UK or US say that they're not comfortable or they're very uncomfortable um, to bring this up in the workplace. Yeah. So any advice for anyone who feels like they want to or need to address this with a manager or leadership, um, how can they do it if it's a very uncomfortable you know, topic? Gosh, it's so difficult to answer that because every leader is so different, aren't they? You know, in some organizations, it could be that you have some sort of buddy who you can talk to rather than your leader, you know, because that may work better for you. Some leaders just aren't cut out for the empathy and and being that person. Um, Mm -hmm. I happen to be particularly good at it without even realizing it was just a natural thing for me. I was able to, to fulfill both of those roles. But I can't tell you specifically why. I guess it's an emotional intelligence piece, isn't it? But uh, think, maybe that's it. It's, it's know your leader. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And, and also leaders have a responsibility, I think, in that position for them to really start thinking and learning about how they do relate to their people. I've been led by too many leaders who never bothered to find out who was in their team. And that was why we were missing that target originally. You know, when I took over that team, because the leader didn't even know who he had in his team. So. Yeah, you, you hit me with a lot, but I'm I'm just going to woosah and I'm going to open <laughs> it up real quick because I feel like Caitlin has some thoughts on, on some of the stuff we, we chatted about. Yeah, um, I don't really have any questions, but just I think it's a really interesting point that you made um, about just the mental health in general and its importance and like how it does have direct impact that people don't generally look at. But I mean, kind of going off your um, bounce acronym, like the energy aspect, like you give off a certain energy and that affects everybody around you. So, I mean, that is an immediate uh, impact that people don't really consider. And then also to like, especially in sales, we talk a lot about that, like empathy and understanding who you're selling to and their pain. But I mean, it's also important to look at that and the people around you who you're working with. That's something that, I don't know, we don't consider, like it's all about solving the pain for the customers, but you can't do that unless you're whole yourself. So I think that's just a very important point that you made. That's actually, that's a really good one. It's like, you can't understand somebody else if you're not whole yourself. Like, yeah, love that. 
that's deep. <laughs> and that's, it even blows my mind even further because we're over here, you know, trying to learn, coach, educate salespeople all over the world. But like, honestly, as a, prof- as a profession, like salespeople and sales leaders should look like, Hey, are your people good? Like, do they have enough energy, strength, emotional, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all the things I just said. Um, but like, do they have enough energy to serve your customers? Yeah. Like yeah. Do, do your salespeople show up and like this, is somebody going through something that's so hard that they literally need to take a month off and like go get help. Like that person's not going to be able to show up and like sell anybody anything or care or serve anybody anything. And so Caitlin, I think that's such a good point that people need to like think about like, are all of your sales people, not even just sales people, but are your people internally at your company good? Like, are they not struggling with mental health? Are they getting the right amount of sleep? Do they have fulfilling and meaningful relationships? Do they have people that they can share their secrets with? Like, all of these things, it starts with like making people your competitive advantage. Like that is where I think it begins. And and I've been doing a lot of, of deeper work on this and I know I'm getting fired up because I'm mad that we have to finish this. But like these are the conversations that I want to have more of and, and figure out how do we as I'd say researchers is like the, the way I like to call myself. Like I'm a researcher. I research business. I, you know, do interviews with different people. And like, that's just, I'm a researcher at heart. So I'm super curious to figure out and see how implementing a people focused approach or even a community focused approach for companies can increase overall employee well-being and also can drive future uh, bottom line revenue. Because I think it all comes back to, you know, having a diverse group of candidates, having diversity of thought, realizing that you have different perspectives. You've got some people are early in their careers. You got some people that are late, but all together, that's what makes your team uniquely you. And, and that's how we'll drive, you know, growth forward. But And that is UHP. And that's UHP right there. That's that what is it is. It. That's and, and what Ju- it's all about. <laughs> and Jules, before we get cut off by time, where can people connect with you and learn more about this UHP and a lot of the things that you were sharing with us today? Yeah, so my brand is live it, love it, sell it. And that's all you need to remember because if you put that in, that's my website address with a co-UK on the end. And that's my podcast. That's my book. Everything is live it, love it, sell it. So yeah, come and come and connect with me. I'm on LinkedIn quite a lot as well. So connect on there. Love it. So Jules, thank you so much again for hopping on. This has been such a pleasure. And I keep saying this and this is becoming a consistent thing. I'm like, I can't wait to have you back on again. It's like four (laughs) episodes in a row. I don't know how that happened, Kev, but I'm just like, you know, these are conversations that I want to continue to have. And I think listeners, and there goes your microphone without fail. (laughs) Oh man. And... Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learn something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice. Day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. Until next time.